And welcome back to Mining Stock Daily and a post-market update and editorial commentary. Today, I am joined by Rick Rule. Rick, it's good to join you once again. Thank you so much. Uh, before we get started in today's market action, I just want to make sure and I ask you, uh, I hope you are well. How's everything going for you in the western part of the United States, assuming that's where you are? Uh, I'm down in uh, Encinitas, California, and I have to say, other than being you know, worried about so many friends and clients, my life is great. Thank you for asking. Uh, I trust that all is well with you and yours as well. Yes, everything is just grand. Beautiful day here in the front range of Colorado. So we will take that. Uh, but uh, let's talk about today's action. I want to start with the precious metals. Uh, yesterday, we saw a great move up, uh, closing above $1,700 futures basis on gold. Uh, interestingly enough, Rick, and I want to get your thoughts here. We reached uh, early this morning, we reached 1742 uh, and uh, it all it came all the way back down to sixteen seventy two. So there was a seventy dollar swing, and I looked at this and I was like, "Man, that's a massive swing." But then I opened up the chart a little bit more, the daily chart, and you can go back all the way to mid, actually late February, where we started seeing huge intraday swings in the futures price of gold. And so I just want to ask you uh, what this these big swings swings in the in the gold price mean to you and uh, what we should be looking for as we look at the price of gold? Uh, I think the first thing that we have to expect in a circumstance where people's uh, emotions are stretched and also where credit is largely unavailable is volatility. In a circumstance where the trading community, the hedge fund community, the commodities traders, the market makers, all of those people have access to credit, there is often uh, enough near-term liquidity to overcome uh, traders' emotions. Uh, in a circumstance now where uh, credit isn't available to the intraday player, uh, this volatility, I think, will become a hallmark. Certainly, people were concerned a couple weeks ago by the precipitous drop in the gold price. Uh, because Sprott is in the physical gold and silver markets every day to accommodate the growth of our physical gold and silver products, uh, we figured out pretty early on that there were as much as $60 billion in leveraged long commodity trading accounts just in the gold space that had suddenly been put on credit restriction. Uh, there will certainly be one or more reasons to explain uh, yesterday's up move and today's down move. But my belief is that people who participate in markets, not just gold and silver, but equities markets, futures markets, pick a market, get used to volatility. Uh, <laughs> the liquidity, I think, that we have seen in uh, the major markets, major debt and equity markets of late, uh, has all the hallmarks, all the feel uh, of action related to quantitative easing, uh, which is to be, which is to say, central buying of asset classes, particularly the indexes and the ETFs, to add liquidity back in the market. But the traditional sources of liquidity, the big market makers, uh, the big traders, uh, 
uh, have been absent from the market, both as a consequence of fear, which is odd during a time of um, volatility, but also as a consequence of lack of uh, of lack of liquidity. So uh, until unless and until liquidity returns to the market, we're going to have to accommodate ourselves to volatility. Uh, and I do want to ask you here in a few minutes, Rick, about you mentioned QE. So let's shelve that for just a quick moment, because I also want to ask you about silver. Uh, silver's seen a nice, I mean, you may even argue a V-shaped recovery since it went down to just below $12 a couple, about uh, two weeks ago, I would give or take. Um, it tried to kiss $16 on the futures basis today. Uh, and so what are your thoughts here on silver? Are we, are we looking pretty better? Is are, are people's minds at ease putting going back into silver now? Certainly speculators are very interested in silver. Uh, if one looks back at the 45 years that I've been involved in these markets, gold moves first because it moves on fear. After this trend has been established by gold, uh, silver moves. Silver both moves uh, because it's regarded as a poor man's gold, which is to say that people can participate in the move with a lower unit cost, but it also moves simply because of its history of volatility. Uh, my suspicion is that we need to see continued positive action on the gold trend before we see silver follow suit. Uh, when people look out a little longer in silver, there are a couple apparent contradictions in the market that investors as opposed to traders should take note of. The first is that uh, silver production comes not just from silver mines, but much more primarily as a byproduct from other be- from other uh, base and precious metals, which is to say that silver comes out of copper mines, lead mines, zinc mines, and gold mines more than out of silver mines. And there's also substantial um, scrap production of silver. What that means is that if we experience uh, a continued and pronounced economic slowdown that begins to impact the production of copper, lead, and zinc in particular, uh, we will see the beginnings of a slowdown in byproduct silver production. That is, that supply will begin to be constrained. At the same time, silver enjoys uh, a lot more industrial usage than gold. Silver straddles the market as both a, a precious metal and an industrial material. And that same economic slowdown that some of us fear, in addition to impacting the silver supply, may impact silver demand. Uh, as an example, were there less demand for solar panel, uh, less demand for micro microelectronics? So the investment, the investment side of silver. I think the thesis for the investment side of silver is very much intact. Uh, in terms of supply and demand with regards to silver as an industrial or commercial material, uh, there's a lot of speculation in the markets both ways, and not much determination. And I'm glad you you mentioned uh, supply and demand here, Rick, because that's another follow-up question I had for you. And this pertains both to silver and gold. Uh, amidst this COVID-19 uh, pandemic, we've seen a lot of uh, mining companies and producers having to either temporarily suspend operations or really scale back. We've also seen smelters having to uh, suspend operations. Um, I guess I'm just kind of curious what type of impact do you foresee this having on uh, the metals prices, the precious metals prices in the in the near and long term? 
Well, in the near term, I think that we've seen the shutdown of the precious metals refiners, um, the private Swiss refiners and, and prominently the Royal Canadian Mint, uh, the suspension of production by those entities has really impacted the retail availability of small denomination investment products in both gold and silver. The dealer communities in the United States and Canada for uh, physical precious metals products, retail physical precious metals products, are effectively out of inventory. Uh, that's both because of increased retail investment demand, but also a consequence of a lack of supply because there's no new supply being fabricated. We are told, but can't confirm, that the three principal Swiss mints will uh, begin to resume production, or rather hope to, to begin to resume production in two to three months, two to three weeks, I'm sorry. And the Royal Canadian Mint has indicated that they may restart uh, the minting of institutional uh, quantities, that is to say 400 ounce uh, product uh, in the same time frame. The circumstance with regards to uh, precious metals mines is more nuanced. Uh, at present, the, the shutdown in extraction uh, has meant that those companies that have the ability to operate their mills safely in this circumstance are still able to produce material. And we don't know really how long the safety precautions with regard to the major gold and silver producers will last. Uh, finally, my suspicion is with the smelters that they aren't particularly labor intensive and they will they will be able to find a way in four to six weeks uh, to operate at uh, effective capacity while still maintaining uh, sufficient safeguards for their workers' well-beings. I certainly hope that they're going to be able to. But I suspect that the uh, concern expressed in the market, that is the psychological impact of fears with regards to shutdowns, will continue to make this market volatile. In other words, people will use any excuse they can to feel bullish or feel bearish, almost irrespective of the facts. Uh, all speculation on my part, the only thing I'm certain of is that we will see continued volatility uh, until we see uh, a, a return of private sector liquidity. How do we balance uh, um, kind of knowing that obviously we are in a pretty healthy gold bull market, but we're also seeing gold producers within the last two weeks completely withdraw their production guidance because of COVID? Um, you know, it, it, I, I'm sure it's just a really difficult place for those miners to be. But from the speculation and investment side, how how do you advise um, kind of wading through this this murky water where you know the gold price is really healthy, but production is? I mean, we we only, we don't even know where this will end up uh, once we get out of here, maybe out of uh, Q2. Uh, I think one thing that investors have to do is understand that there has never been and never will be certainty, that we have to content ourselves with probability. Uh, if you want certainty, you can buy a 10-year treasury and you will certainly lose money over 10 years. <laughs> That's the only certainty that seems to be on offer. So uh, coming back in effect to your question, I think what you need to decide for yourself is that the problems that confront the mining industry are other than permanent. 
that we will find a way, it may be six weeks, it may be eight weeks, to operate while uh, offering sufficient safeguards to our labor force. In the near term, uh, we need to understand the impact of the gold price on precious metals producers by looking back at history. There have been eight major upcycles in the gold and gold equities markets in the past 45 years. In every case, the gold price, uh, the physical gold market, led the equities markets, uh, sometimes by fairly substantial periods of time, four or five months. In my experience, the equity market response occurs after the increase in precious metals prices has impacted the first income statements uh, and also later the balance sheets of the precious metals producers. People buy gold, initially at least, out of fear. Uh, people buy the gold stocks more out of greed. They look at the margin expansion that they can enjoy. Going back to probability, the future of the gold price is uh, something that nobody uh, that I know of can predict with any certain accuracy. Warren Buffett famously said that predictions tell you lots about the predictor, but not very much at all about the future. So I think we have to examine probabilities. And I think examining the probabilities is very good for gold. Gold traditionally has done well when faith in other mediums of exchange, particularly the world's reserve currency, uh, the U.S. dollar, are called into question. Uh, in other words, when savers are nervous about the ongoing purchasing power of their U.S. dollar denominated savings instruments, like the U.S. Treasury, they turn to insurance products and alternatives like gold. If you look at the macro environment that we're in, the probabilities are solidly in gold favor, gold's favor. Quantitative easing, uh, which is Washington speak for counterfeiting, uh, they have conjured up uh, about $4 trillion in currency units in the near term, backed by nothing, which means that they are actively debasing the currency. At the same time, the reward that you are offered up to lend money to the U.S. government by way of the U.S. 10-year treasury uh, is in fact functionally negative, which is to say they propose to pay you 60 basis points in a currency that has been debasing itself by 160 basis points annually. Maybe the first promise the U.S. government will ever keep. If you give them money, they will give you back less than you gave them. And then finally, on the credit side of the balance sheet, debt continues to expand. Uh, over $20 trillion in recourse obligations and $120 trillion in uh, off-balance sheet obligations. So the currency that the obligation is denominated in is being debased. The reward that you are expected to, ex to accept for this debasement is being reduced. While the credit quality of the issuer is simultaneously being reduced. My friend Jim Grant goes so far as to describe the U.S. 10-year treasury as, quote, return-free risk. And return-free risk, it seems to me, is the competition for gold. Is there a guarantee that it goes up? No. 
But I would say the probabilities, given the macro environment, uh, is that it does go up. And if it goes up, history shows that after a lag, uh, the better gold mining companies in particular uh, show the impact of the gold price on first their income statement and then their balance sheet. And the equities markets responds dramatically. I'm glad you did mention the dollar, Rick, because I just pulled up today's DXY chart and it did have a pretty rough day today, but it's still just a few ticks below that 100 level. And so the, the dollar still remains strong. Uh, but I also wanted to, I, I wrote something down before I was able to connect with you because um, I had it on uh, one of the financial channels I, I was had on the background, but somebody somebody said, it was a great quote, and I wanted to read it to you and see if you agree. Because I think I, this is something I agree on. He said, "Not this is not stimulus in terms to the $2 trillion or $4 trillion, what it is right now. This is not stimulus. This is called life support. Do you agree with that statement? Yeah, I suspect. It's just you have to decide who they're supporting. And where do you uh, think the support's going to now? Oh, well, I think it's going to the large financial institutions, and I think it's going to politically connected uh, or, or at least strong voting blocks. Um, yes, it's absolutely life support. It's absolutely life support for an economy that's become a political economy. Yes. <laughs> the the lines have been blurred between yeah. the economy and politics, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there because I realize this isn't primarily a, a philosophical or a political interview. Well, Rick, we can't have a conversation with you without getting a little bit of philo philosophy in there, right? I mean, that's just typical. You know? Absolutely. I wouldn't have asked you on the show if I didn't think we were going to get a little bit of that. So, Rick, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I know it's valuable, um, but uh, we really thank you for giving us some insight today. We look forward to catching up with you again in the future. Best of luck Cert to you Certainly a pleasure. I hope that your listeners understand that volatility, if you're prepared for it by maintaining cash and courage, is a tool. You don't need to be victimized by volatility. Yep. You can use it. I agree with you. And it's, and ultimately, I think it's a very exciting time to be in the resource sector. Oh, spectacular well, time. Spectacular. Right. That's Rick Rule. Thank you so much, Rick. Take care. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. It's a pleasure. Thank you.